reading from the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking about in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning. For those who I've not met, I am Paul Sorensen, the senior pastor here. It really is an honor that you would choose to worship with us on this beautiful Charleston morning. Before we look at our text, I just want to share a really big update in the life of One Fellowship. We have, as of this past week, officially launched into phase one of our building renovation of 142 Sportsman's Island, in which you sit today. If you drive out of here, you'll notice not all the walls match. You'll see new paint will be going up over the coming weeks. The lobby will change. A new kids zone will be uh, upfitted. It's going to be incredible. And so thank you for your generosity, your ongoing prayers, support. Uh, we're going to send out a big email, right, Mark? We're going to send out a big email. I'm looking at our new director of ops, Mark Jones. He'll make me do it this week, but it's an exciting time to be a part of this church. And uh, it's a humbling time. Uh, to see all God is doing. 20 new members. We already had eight babies sign up for dedications next week. I, I don't know how they use computers, but it's an exciting time in the life of our church. With that intro, let me uh, invite you to bow your heads as I share a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. In the face of danger, what 
should we do? In the face of danger, what should we do? Encountering a threat that's hard to quantify, someone recently asked Steve Bender, aka the grumpy gardener of Southern Living Magazine for a solution to danger. Specifically, they asked, quote, grumpy, any suggestions for controlling murder hornets? True story. Here's a picture of a murder hornet. Our neighbors have them in their Chinese privet bush. Grumpy, any suggestions for controlling murder hornets? To which Grumpy, I love that name, he replied, all my listeners know I hate privet. But anyway, I'll tell you what I would do if this was my yard. I'd get myself a flamethrower. And I'd emulate both the privet and the hornets in one fell swoop, get rid of them. Now, having said that, let's talk a little bit about murder hornets. The term murder hornet is something that was actually created on social media purely for clickbait. They took an insect, they called it a murder hornet, and the reason they did it was because this hornet, which is the biggest in the world, it's terrifying, especially that big up on the screen. It happens to feast on honeybees. And when it attacks a nest, it usually goes and bites off their heads. That's gnarly. So anyway, Grumpy goes on. That's how they get their name. But here's the thing. In the United States, you have almost 0.0000% chance of ever encountering a murder hornet, which is known literally as the Asian giant hornet, the correct name, because they're native to Japan and in some areas of Korea. And that's where they live. What is probably more likely, Grumpy continues, is our smaller hornet called the black-faced hornet. That sounds terrifying, doesn't it? It's black and white. It makes this characteristic nest that looks like a big loaf of bread. And then the bottom of it is a single entry hole. Now these black-faced hornets, they eat a lot of bugs and that's good. However, if you come too close or happen to nudge the privet, they will sting you mercilessly, big word, mercilessly. So here's what you have to do, he says, if you want to get rid of these black-faced hornets. First of all, you have to get yourself a jet spray, jet spray can of wasp or hornet killer, okay? You have to either convince yourself or someone else that you're willing to sacrifice <laughs> who's much braver than you and tell her, why's it had to be a herb, grumpy? <laughs> Tell her she has to go underneath that nest, generally at dusk, because they're less active and most of the hornets are inside. Take careful aim and you soak the whole entry hole of the nest, he says. And that immediately kills all the hornets inside. So follow this strategy and let me know how it went. He ends, I hope to hear from you again in the future. <laughs> How's that for advice, One Fellowship? I love this. Find someone you're willing to sacrifice and I hope to hear from you again. There it is, the solution to danger. Now on a serious note, the reality is we'll all face challenges, won't we? We'll all face dangers in this life. Pressure, intimidation, even oppression. These things will come at us in some fashion. However, here's what our passage in scripture as a whole makes clear, we'll all face these dangers in different ways. 
You see, some of us will actually bow to the pressure. We will. Some of us will crack under the pressure, and yet some of us will even throw each other under the bus in the face of pressure. It's human nature, yet some of us, by the grace of God, will be able to stand firm in the fire under pressure. So how will we, you and I, face pressure, face danger in the days to come? Well, let's look back at three key figures in the Old Testament and how they trusted in Yahweh in the face of pressure. So with this introduction, let me introduce our big idea from Daniel 3, and it's this. In a world that demands our attention and allegiance, only God is worthy of our hearts. And once we understand this, it will shape how we face danger. In a world that demands our attention and allegiance, only God's worthy of our hearts. And we'll break this down through two points. So point one, see the way of the world. See the way of the world. Beginning with verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to, to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He'll deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered, ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the burning furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the burning furnace. So one fellowship, what's going on here? What's happening in this passage? Well, we're looking, as we shared earlier, we're looking at the book of Daniel this fall. And by this point in the story, and this point in the history, God's people, the Israelites, have been conquered and a lot of them have been exiled to Babylon by the Babylonians under this king, Nebuchadnezzar. Moreover, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's an interesting person or leader in that he's the most powerful man or person in the world at the time, and yet it's not enough. He thirsts or, dare I say, lusts for more. Put simply, King Nebuchadnezzar's a narcissist. The king, both in our chapter and the preceding chapters, demonstrates he's a person who lusts for power and fame. And this highlights the first of three character traits that typify our world. Three character traits. And the first one is this, attention-seeking. Attention-seeking. Our world is consumed by attention-seeking. It can be summarized in this belief. You need to give me your attention or I won't be okay. Sound familiar? Give me your attention or I won't be okay. Rooted in deep insecurity, it's the person who indicates to another person or group, see me, like me, click, follow me, or 
Even bow to me or else I won't be okay. That's the way of our world. Returning to our text, we see this trait played out in Daniel 3 as Nebuchadnezzar has a huge statue erected that is 60 cubits high. Anyone here last week know how high it was in feet? 90 feet high by six cubits wide, that is nine feet wide, made of gold. And then he orders leaders from around his vast empire to come and fall down and bow before it and worship it. That's what we read. And if you're curious, no, we're not told if it's an image of himself or one of his gods. That's not really the point. The point is the king believed his reign was so powerful, so beautiful, so absolute, even blessed by the gods, that everyone needed to come bow to him and bow to them, his gods. The king wanted all eyes to be on him and them in the kingdom he was blessed to reign. Got it? Attention-seeking. In fact, to this end, can you guess how many times the word worship is used in Daniel chapter 3 to indicate the deep desire of Nebuchadnezzar's heart? Eleven times. He's longing for attention. He lusted for attention. Fast forward to our times. Let's bring this into the room. It's not hard to see that our world still thirsts for attention. Some of us desperate for attention. Social media, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, and the list goes on and on and on. Can anyone tell me Meta's value? Meta's value as of Friday morning. This will blow your mind. $770 billion. Is that right? You can double check me. It's a lot. Give me your attention. How about politics? Don't go there. Pastor, how about politics? Have you ever seen where attention seeking is Commingled with faith and power? Boy, can that be toxic and dangerous, right? This last week, I came across a quote from Germany, the head of the German youth movement in 1936. Quote, one cannot be a good German and at the same time deny God. But an arousal of faith in the eternal German is at the same time an arousal of faith in the eternal God. If we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer, serves Germany. And whoever serves Germany serves God. Repulsive, right? Attention-seeking. It's not new, yet it's still dangerous. So first, friends, be aware of the lust for attention in your own heart and be aware of the lust for attention in our world. Next, be aware of the tendency or the trait to compare yourself with others. Be aware of the trait of comparison. And this is the second worldly trait we see in Daniel 3. It's this idea, I must know that I'm better than you or I'm not okay. Spoken or unspoken, I must know did I measure up or am even better than you or I'm not okay? And while this trait is not directly found in our passage, it's found in the verses right before our passage, which is why we need to look at it. It's actually what led these three Jewish leaders or servants into the fiery furnace. Specifically in verse eight of Daniel three, we read, 
At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Dropping to verse 12, the astrologers tell Nebuchadnezzar, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. In other words, church, these astrologers throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego under the bus by turning them into the king. Let's bring this back into the room. Have you ever been stabbed in the back before by a friend or a colleague? Someone you've actually helped or someone you've worked with or someone you've trusted? It's awful, right? Well, that's exactly what happens in the context of Daniel chapter three. You see, these guys, the astrologers, were the chief advisors to Nebuchadnezzar in that time. And if you back up to Daniel chapter two, Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had actually saved, saved the lives of these leaders, these astrologers, by interpreting the king's dream. Remember that? Some of you who are with us? But does that matter in this moment? It does not. They take the opportunity, they take their chance to step on the backs of these three Jewish men to advance their way forward. I think their motivation's very clear. Jealousy and self-promotion. Envy, again, self-advancement. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with Daniel, as foreign exiles nonetheless, had somehow ascended in the Babylonian rank. We read it at the end of chapter two, and we even read it here through their own admission. And guess what? These guys were just, I think, brewing with jealousy. They didn't like it. So they turned on these Jews that had earlier helped them. Oh, beware of our world in our own hearts when we fall into the sin or trait of comparison. In the words of Nikki Gumbel, comparison is corrosive. It either puffs you up to pride or drives you down to despair. And here in Daniel 3, we see that the advisors puffed up with pride through these Jews into the fire of Nebuchadnezzar's rage. That leads us to the third trait I want us to see, which is this, chaos and rage. You ever seen that? Chaos and rage. It's the belief, if I don't get what I want, I won't be okay. Chaos and rage. Verses 13 and 19, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. There's actually a play on words here by the original author in the Aramaic that I want us to see that heightens the irony of this moment. In verse 19, where we read his, meaning the king's attitudes changed, the text literally translates, quote, the image of his face changed. It contorted. In other words, this supposed unshakable and supreme king, Nebuchadnezzar, was shaken to the core because he didn't get what he ultimately wanted, which was unlimited power. And what do we see? We see this guy basically throw a toddler-like temper tantrum. He throws a temper tantrum. One fellowship, have you ever seen a leader act like that? It's not hard to, to think of someone. 
Better yet, have you ever acted like that? You don't have to be loud in your rage to be brewing with anger. No, not me, pastor. (laughs) Never. Yes, you and me. Three traits, all steeped in deep insecurity, is what we see in our passage that typifies the world. Attention-seeking, comparison, chaos, and rage. Be aware of these traits in your own heart and be attuned to them when they're happening around you. This leads us to point two. See the way of the Lord. See the way of the Lord. Now, uh, as I was preparing for this message, I, I don't know why this story came to mind, but here it is. As I was a little guy, a little kid, my brother, dad, and I did something all the time together. We, we'd go under the water of a lake or a pool, and we'd do what? We'd hold our breath. How long can you hold your breath, Paul, Chris, dad? Anyone ever play that game with family or friends? Yeah, half the room. How long can you hold your breath? And guess what? I don't know if it was our dad's coaching. We got pretty good at it. We each could hold our breath over three minutes and 30 seconds at one point. Well, anyway, with that backdrop, one day I was at a big community pool and I was little. I mean, I had to be like six or seven. And I thought to myself, how fun would it be to go to the deep end and just sit there and hold my breath? And when you hold a lot of oxygen in your lungs, right? A lot of air, you tend to float up. So I grabbed that grate. I went to the, to the deepest part of the pool. I sat cross-legged, held that grate, and I held my breath. Again, it's something just we did, right? Well, all of a sudden, there was commotion. There's commotion all outside the pool. People start screaming, and this big dude, fully clothed, jumps in, and he saves me. He saves me. I come up, he comes up, everyone's clapping. He's saved. Did I really need saving that day? Not really. But how's the saying go? It's the thought that counts. <laughs> to this day, I think he, he thinks he's saved. Praise God. He's probably preaching on it. There's this little boy. Returning to our passage, here's the truth. Facing the chaos and rage of the king in his fiery furnace, these three men, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they needed more than just thoughts. They needed a rescue. They, they needed a divine intervention. They needed a power that transcends all powers around them and circumstances in which they found themselves. And guess what? They got it. One fellowship, they got it. We read, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his, his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four, four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed in the fourth, looks like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most uh, high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was their hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Wow, what an incredible story. Two things I want us to note, exegetically speaking. First, 
As John Calvin pointed out, could God have extinguished the flames before these men were thrown into them? The answer is absolutely he could have. Did he? He did not. No, God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not from the fire, but in the fire. Don't miss this, friends, especially if you're facing fire right now. God delivered these three men, not from the fire, but in the fire. Next, as theologian Tremper Longman points out, could God have saved these three men without all the fanfare and just had them walk out unscathed of this fire? Yes, but he didn't. No, God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by the presence of a fourth man who looks like a son of the gods. It all begs the question, was this Jesus in the fire with these men or was it an angel or someone else? Here's the deal, we're not told. However, what is made clear is that those who trust in the Lord have one thing in common and it is this, they have security, absolute security. Those who trust in the Lord and not the powers above them or circumstances around them have this one thing in common, security, absolute security. It's the belief that in, even in the face of danger, Jack, I'll be okay. Even in the face of danger, church, we'll be okay. When life goes off the rails, when that relationship starts to fracture, when that door is slammed in your face, it'll be okay. This, friends, is the way of the Lord. It's the invitation. It's the anchor in the storm. No, dare I say, it's, it's the gospel. See, Daniel chapter three, in this wild story of the fiery furnace, is all a foreshadowing of a promise that will find ultimate fulfillment in one person, and his name is Jesus. We're making our way towards Advent. And what's that one title we read early in the Gospels that describes Jesus? Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with me, God with you, God with us. Thus, we need to understand that today's passage is not just some historic story or fairy tale. No, it's more than that. Daniel chapter three is a flashing bright light, a bright arrow pointing to something or someone else. And who is that? It's Jesus. Jesus. Don't miss this, friends. It's Jesus. God with us. God with me and God with you. In the words of the Apostle Paul, after Jesus' victory over the greatest tyrant of all, death itself, he wrote these words. Listen, what then shall we say in response to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, meaning you and me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, you facing trouble? Shall hardship, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here it is. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is good news, amen? This is the gospel. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thus, the way of the Lord is living with absolute security, trusting in God's absolute supremacy. God is sovereign. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not some great and mighty leaders. They were foreign exiles. They were just regular dudes, regular people. And yet... They trusted in a mighty and great and supreme God. Therefore, One Fellowship, as we leave this place today, know this, no matter what you're facing or will face, be it a tyrant above us or trials around us, for those who place their faith in Jesus, it'll be okay. Some of you are in a fire in a furnace right now, it'll be okay. How do we know? Because of Jesus. He conquered the grave. It'll be okay. In fact, I invite you to repeat these words after me or with me. Even in the face of danger, because of Jesus, I'll be okay. Say it again. Even in the face of danger, because of Jesus, I'll be okay. That's the promise that will allow you and me to face anything and anyone in the days ahead. In the world that demands our attention and allegiance, only God is worthy of our hearts and our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we leave this place today, trust him with your lives and your family's lives today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your intervention, for your rescue, for this promise that's based in history. Draw us back to you. For those who go it alone, would you call them to yourself? May they not turn their brains off, but turn their brains on to see the power of this promise fulfilled in your son, Jesus. We place our trust in him today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.